0: Talk Radio.
1: It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Pause I M Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brenning and Jack McEnrod. They'll be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is three four seven. 215 9442. That number again 347 215 9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio.
0: and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining. This evening, I am joined by the fabulous Jack McEnroe. Hi, Jack. Uh, Jack, are you with me? Okay, I have a bad connection with Jack, so we'll have him call back. So I'm waiting for Jack to call into the show, and I want to thank you all for joining us. If you're joining us here for the first time, um, we are live every Sunday, and what we do is we showcase uh, positive stories of positive people. So, we'd like to um, offer each other um, some hope by sharing uh, stories that we can all find relatable living with HIV um, from day to day. Uh, I do want to let you know that we do have a special um, a date uh, show coming up, July 8th. Uh, you want to mark your calendars. So we're going to be speaking with um, the Berlin patient, Timothy Brown, uh, the man who is quote unquote cured of HIV, is going to come on and share his story and talk about some of the controversy that is surrounding. Um, what's going on with him right now. So that's a date you don't definitely don't want to miss, July 1st. We'll be speaking with uh, the author of My Pet Virus, um, Sean Becker. And, and then next week we will be speaking with Nick Rhodes, uh, who was featured in HIV is Not a Crime, the documentary that was created to bring awareness around HIV criminalization and the stigma that surrounds those types of laws. So that's a show definitely you don't want to miss as well. So... Um, Let's see, This evening we're going to be speaking with uh, Michael Kearns, so I'm really excited to have him on. He just actually um, had a new book come out, and I believe it was yesterday he uh, launched a uh, book signing or an opening to, to release the book, so he's going to come on and uh, talk about the new book. And then since it's Father's Day, I kind of wanted an HIV-positive father to come on, and um, Michael is uh, a father, and he's going to talk about what it's like uh, to be you know, a father, because a lot of people with HIV think that we can never have kids or that it's not possible. And even, you know, as somebody who um, is gay, we think that we can't have kids. And uh, Michael Kern's story of adopting his daughter is is inspirational, and I wanted to share it with everybody on Father's Day to offer um, others' hope. So I am going to take a quick break as I uh, wait for Jack to uh, call in.
1: (laughs) I contracted a preventable disease from a guy that looks good and smelled good, but never mentioned that he had HIV, but he is not to blame. I should have loved myself enough to protect myself, but through it all, I found self-love, and it's the greatest thing I ever felt. I was never less than or equal to AIDS, but always greater. I just realized that not caring for myself or my body, I was my biggest hater. I am of The Naked Truth, Marvin Brown, and I am greater than AIDS.
0: Speaking about greater than A's, I've actually seen some uh, billboards pop up in my neighborhood, um, and uh, maybe you've seen them in yours, too. Uh, If you go down Interstate 95 here in um, Pennsylvania, you will actually see um, uh, the billboards up on 95, and I'm surprised because I haven't been able to see any kind of awareness here, so I'm actually really uh, excited about them being there. So, Jack, are you with me?
2: Yeah, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, yeah, sorry. I I guess my computer didn't... uh, refresh and show that you were waiting, so I apologize if you were there for a while. So how you been?
2: Yeah, oh, no problem. No, I heard you. And actually, it's interesting because basically everyone you named, uh, uh, Timothy Brown, Timothy, what's his name? I always forget because it doesn't sound, is it Timothy Brown? Timothy? yes, yeah. the a Um, yeah. yeah, Sean Decker, they're all part of the Paul's Army, which, like, that's what I'm working on right now, so, um, yeah, and actually, I wanted to, uh, add to that um i was at the ampar inspiration gala last week and kenneth cole announced uh that they have there's a second patient who's now cured of hiv um it's not really i looked for it online and there's one really weirdly written article about it but um so i i don't want to you know jump the gun here but um it's kind of there's kind of you know, saying, and I was literally in the room and he was like, yeah, it was just announced today in San Francisco. There's a second person who via stem cell, I don't know if it was bone marrow or exactly how it went. And the details are a little bit shady, but, um, but yeah, apparently there's a second person who's now cured of AIDS. So. Wow.
0: So you already hear second. <laughs>
2: yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, I am going to uh, uh, officially now. I think I'm going to the the World AIDS Conference with um, the Pause Army, which I told you about. It's um we're it's basically um this re- and everyone who's listening should go on the Facebook page and follow PAWS Army on Twitter. And um it's like they're just trying to get basically a lot of activists and HIV positive like quote unquote celebrities who are out in the media. Just And it's not really anything other than a movement where, you know, um, like, you know, there's Susan uh, G. Komen has for, for cancer, and there's a lot of places to go, but for HIV, we haven't had anything since really, like, ACT UP, where people can just go, and you don't have to be HIV positive, and it's a fairly simple message, and the messaging is... Um, universal access to care for everyone who needs it, uh, decriminalization, which I heard you talking about as well, and um, and now it's kind of focusing on the cure because now that there is the Berlin patient and now there's apparently a second patient that there is actually for a long time I think people were just really just focused on treatment which is awesome and we're alive because of it, but now it's like the 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 dialogue of, of a cure is actually kind of coming back in to to a, a place where it's actually sort of realistic so we're really um really pushing government to just be vocal and visible and say like listen we want because i think actually the funding towards prevention is just like really massively disproportionate to the federal funding given to research for a cure so so yeah that's what's going on with me Well, wow, that's pretty interesting yeah. So actually, yeah. Go to PuzzleArmy.com and you can see. I mean, it's everyone. You you'll know everyone on it. It's like me, Greg Luganis, Angina, um, uh, we're trying to talk to Rudy Galindo, who's a figure skater. Um, who else? Um, uh, Sean Decker's in it um it's says hi uh the timothy brown, uh like, i want to start with script because i would think it was the berlin patient and that name is so not german so it's timothy whatever brown, Tim, brown timothy brown um hi is it uh miss the miss plus america we talked to um i'm so bad with everyone's name and i'm not in front of my computer michelle. I no 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 michelle
0: anderson no yeah, that makes totally sense. But I also want to remind people if you were on um, Facebook or Twitter going to follow Paws Army, I also want you to check out um, hashtag HIV. Um, and that's something that, um, you know, Paws Radio has kind of partnered with a few other activists to kind of get them on board to kind of make um, HIV, the hashtag HIV trend on Twitter. It's never happened. So we're trying to actually um, get people on board to actually tweet using pound HIV whenever they send out tweets, including we're talking about HIV AIDS. So that's another. Uh, kind of Okay, good to know. To check out because, yeah, so because we want it to trend, it's never happened, and we're really trying to get it to trend at least during the International AIDS Conference, and it's really important. So I just think awareness needs to be brought, and this is kind of a cool way to do it using Twitter. So, um, you know, follow Paws Army, and then also check out Hashtag HIV. Um, and they are
2: links, I'm sure,
0: on your page and then on my page as well. They're all kind of combined. yeah.
2: And um, the thing actually that I do like about Paws Army is that they're trying to really recruit people that, aren't necessarily HIV positive, which, you know, virtually every other awareness campaign for cancer, I mean, everyone else has supporters that aren't HIV positive and it's just weird. I mean, yes, people do the AIDS walk that aren't HIV positive, but like because of the stigma signing up for something that is an HIV related movement or program, a lot of people are scared or, are hesitant because they think people assume that they're HIV positive. So it's just weird that that exists because, you know, anyone you, you wouldn't think twice about doing some sort of, you know, march for cancer or signing up to support anything like that, but it's just with HIV everyone's so worried about the stigma, which is unfortunate. No, that is
0: unfortunate because it seems like HIV is the only virus that kind
2: of carries that type of stigma. Of course, of course. All right, now, are, are you figured out a way to get your butt to the, the conference yet?
0: Yes, I'm actually going to the conference. I got um, a scholarship to go, so they granted me, that at least for the registration to go. I will be staying with a friend of mine while I'm there. Awesome. The so awesome. It'll be fun. I, I plan on broadcasting, actually, a live show on the Sunday of the opening ceremonies, but I want to do it at, in the afternoon. Um, okay, and well, that's we'll because, keep in mind.
2: Well, We'll keep in touch, and I'll see when they, if I can hook up with you on there.
0: I'm sure I can. Yeah, definitely. I'm just trying to see if I um, see our guests on the line. If um, I have some people holding you. If, if Michael, if you're on the line, just press the one button so I know it's you, and we know that you want to come on air and talk to us. I'm just not sure if people are listening or not. I'm actually really – actually, I see him. He just logged in. So uh, I'm pretty excited to actually have our guests on this evening. Um, are are um, are you familiar with Michael?
2: Yeah. Um, no, just what I've read in the recent days. Yeah. But yeah, I um, I, do, I do want to say really quickly Happy Father's Day to everyone. I have some a couple of gay friends on in uh, L.A. who are new fathers. So, um, and I recently sort of reconnected with mine, even though, well, we won't go into that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I kind of
0: this day is one of those days that it just it reminds me of my dad and my dad past. So it just kind of sucks. You know I mean, so I've right. been in a funk all day, just sitting at home, going, "blah, I'm bored." You know I mean, it just—I don't know. It just kind of reminds me. My dad's birthday's in June too, so it's kind of like a double whammy: Father's Day and his birthday. Kind of like a double reminder yeah. of me not having that, you know, figure. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's to me actually. I mean, I for until my brother got married a year ago, September, I actually hadn't spoken to my dad in probably 15 years or so. So it's the. It's just so weird. For me, it was always a non-day. Like, I would always forget it was even Father's Day until someone would sit like, a Macy's commercial would come on or something and say, like, Father's Day. And I was like, all right. So, um, <laughs> I'm trying to be a responsible adult and let any sort of resentment go away, but, you know, right? it's, not, it's easier said than done. All right. Well,
0: I see our guests on hold, so uh, please help me welcome Michael Kearns to the show. Welcome, Michael. Hi. how are you?
2: Hey. hey, hey Father's
0: Day. I. I guess Happy
2: Father's Day, huh? It's not so yeah. happy for everyone. I understand. No, no,
1: no. no. But, <laughs>
2: hey, we might be fathers one day, so you never know. It's a good day. Yeah.
1: I had a a, a pretty rough time with my father. It, it It's interesting to me that now I am one and can understand a bit more about what it's like to be a father. But it's still difficult to reconcile. Yeah, of course. What was your
2: experience with your dad?
1: Well, he was, you know, diagnosed as um, manic, a schizophrenic. He was in and out of mental institutions. So it's not only that he wasn't there, he was crazy. So,
2: right. uh,
1: And everybody who is the offspring of a crazy person lives their life thinking that they will become crazy. And uh, I think that's a true thing. And it's so interesting that, I adopted my child when I was the age that my father was when I was born, and it, it somehow it just it, it's it's all kind of cyclical in some weird way. But um, I've I've forgiven him. I and and being a father has allowed me to kind of separate myself from my parents and um, look at my own family as my own family, and that I don't have to necessarily carry those genetics with me.
2: That's good. Right. Do you hear that beeping? Yeah. I'm sorry. yeah. I hear a beeping. I don't know if that's who that is, but there's some sort of beeping in the background whatever. We'll just ignore it. <laughs> are you still here? I don't hear it. So Maybe maybe I'm going deaf on top of everything. Well, no, are you I, don't, I don't hear anything. I'm right behind you. I'm deaf too. It just happened just time.
1: <laughs> well then, we'll have
2: a we'll have a happy deaf day instead of Father's Day. Oh, is you, are you still hearing beeping? Yeah, I don't know so what I, that would be, Robert. Do you? I. I have no idea. Whatever. Do you want me to try to call back?
0: No, you're fine.
2: You're fine.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> if we start
2: to hear. We start giggling every once in a while because it goes beep. That's fine. So <laughs> do you yeah, it think like your listeners are, are hearing the beeping? Yeah, but the the it's, there? it's like once every thirty seconds. It just went again. <laughs> <laughs> do
0: you want to try yeah, to I not hear it now? at all. All right, then that's fine. Don't worry, it's no big deal. Um, so, so, Michael, um, first I want to thank you for coming on. I actually uh, reached out to Olivia Ford at the body. Um, because for Father's Day, I wanted to have an HIV-positive father on because a lot of people living with HIV think that they can't become a father or that that dream is something that they now have to not have or forfeit to. So can you I- explain just a little bit um, of what it was like for you um, going through the process of adopting your daughter? Yeah. Because I know it was a really big thing back it, in the day.
1: Yeah, it was seven years ago. So. When I did it, you know, I was castigated um particularly by gay people uh particularly by gay men, not so much gay women, as being crazy and um selfish. those were the two words that were used most, but it's exactly what saying. I looked at the rest of my life and I said, what is missing and what is it that I really, 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 really wanted beyond this career and beyond uh, relationships with men, many of whom had died at that point. This was 1994, uh, actually, I decided in about 93. And, you know, my, my moves were fairly audacious and maybe they were crazy and selfish. But because this was pre-protease inhibitors, so I just made the decision that I was going to do it, and I served myself with uh, a big support group, uh, male, female, straight, gay, black, white, younger, older, about 12 people uh, as extended family members who I knew would t- help me care for her in her infancy. and. Up and also in the event that something happened to me, that the, that this was firmly set in place, and so, you know, I encourage anyone who, no matter what their status is, especially to, in today's world, that if this is some real desire that they have, that they really take care of a child, uh, to go for it.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about? The, I'm just curious cause I just literally left LA where a friend of mine has, um, he's fostering with the hopes of adopting a new, like a newborn whose parents are drug addicted. But I was curious how you went about it. And if you disclosed your HIV status and all that stuff, like, can you us well, about that? Good questions. Yes. Um, I did not directly
1: lie about my HIV status. Um, but someone, you'll love this story, it's it's in the book, a gay man uh, called the agency that I was hooked up with to go through the adoption and help me find a child and told them that I was HIV positive. So that was a pleasant experience to have.
2: <laughs> in a, in a, another... a vindictive way or on accident?
1: No, he called to tell them to keep me from adopting because oh, I was God. HIV positive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that ended that relationship with that particular agency. So, and then I was um, a, there was a woman, a young woman, who was kind of targeting gay men because she knew they were more vulnerable, and she had targeted several. And to this day, I don't even know if she was pregnant, but that was another ten thousand dollars and X amount of time and energy. And of oh, course, my God. at this point, yeah, yeah, yeah. And at this point, I'm saying to myself well, are these signs, you know, like it, that I'm not supposed to, well, I didn't believe that for a minute. So I persevered. I had a, you know, at this at the time I had a heterosexual doctor who was very sort of middle of the road and he wrote a letter saying there was no reason in the world I shouldn't be a parent. He didn't address the HIV issue. He just said I was, uh, you know, capable and that he expected that I would be a good father and blah, blah, blah. And then, so so I really didn't, at, at one point, I think I had to have a doctor, another doctor's signature, and all that doctor wanted from me personally, not, in, uh, not to his letter, was an assurance that I had a will. And I did. So I had a will. I had a will drawn up in advance of having Catherine, my child, uh, that that talked about the fact that there would be uh, a, a family to support take care of her, that there would that I would create this. So it was sort of a will, letter of agreement, whatever you want to call it. So my journey was much more complicated than it would be today because now today I don't even think they can stop someone who's HIV positive. I mean, the point is when I was doing it, whatever, I think, as they said, were well, they asking heterosexuals if they're HIV positive? Well, of course they weren't. Right. So it would you know, are they asking people if they have a heart condition? Are they asking people if they have cancer in their family? I mean, it's kind of a ridiculous question. A parent can die of anything well, at any right. moment of any day. Right?
2: Well, you actually, know, I, I, my, my friend now has had this child for... I think almost three months. And the parents, uh, you know, just to get a little off topic the parents have 10 months to stay sober and then they get him back. So it's just actually a really weird fostering, uh, situation, but he actually told the agency, he's not only HIV positive, but he's also a recovering, uh, meth addict. And he was very, I mean, he's been sober for many years, but he's, he was very honest about the whole thing because he thought, "I hey, listen. If I got, if I start lying, I'll forget what I lied about, and I wouldn't want to get caught in a lie." And actually, the agency was—they're—they're they're cool about it now. I mean, they're, well,
1: here's this is an interesting situation. Um, I had a social worker who was following up with Catherine before the adoption went through, which that was like three years, and she at one point said to me. Point blank, like like she was asking me what I was going to eat for dinner that night. She said, "Oh, are you HIV positive?" And there was a beat, you know, and then I, and then she said, "Because if you are, I would just want to know that so I could protect you." And I said, "Yeah, I am." And and that was sort of the end of it. She said, "I just want to know the truth in case it comes up." So, I mean, that was a fascinating moment in my HIV—I mean, in my HIV history, but in my adoption history as well—that that I had an ally who just wanted the information. Like your friend said, if that it, you know, if you tell the truth, then it's not likely somebody can try to destroy you. Right. I'm sorry. I mean, I—I I, my heart starts to flutter when I hear that. That child could be taken away from him. I mean, that's the only. Well, yeah.
2: I mean, he. I I The child is adorable, and of course, he. He's like, listen, I. Um, you know, he's he's a very, he's a very tall step-adjusted person. So he's like, listen, it's he goes, it's actually quite, you know, amazing that his two parents are crystal meth addicts, and I'm crystal meth addict, and he, you know, so he's like. I get it, and it's like there's the addict part of me that wants them to stay sober because I think it's awesome if they stay sober. And he's like, and then the parent part of me wants them not to so I can – he's like, because I'm already, of course, in love with this child. He's like, but I'm – he's like, he's, he's like, I, you know, in a way I'm protecting myself, and I'm trying – he's like, I believe right now wholeheartedly that I will not get to keep him. Cause he's like, that's the only way I can go on, you know? I mean, cause I'm yes. sure like your experience was you fall in love with them immediately. So
1: immediately you fall in love. If you have that instinct to parent, you're going to fall in love with the kid, no matter what the kid's color is, size is shape is affect is within about 10 minutes.
2: I'd say, <laughs> you know, yes, I'm yes, the... uh, sorry that I'm um, Robert that I'm dominating this conversation, but I have yes, a questions. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, uh, we talked about this at length, and he said, you know, a lot of his gay friends, gay male friends especially, like you said, also thought he was crazy and that it was selfish, and And I think it's really interesting how gay men in our society are just so not socialized to be parents, that we you well, know, a lot hear of a lot of gay men saying, oh, I hate kids, and or when people are like, you're like, you know, you find out a friend of yours is adopting, you're like, oh great, we'll never see them again. Like it's a really mixed, weird, unsupportive community in a weird way. It is absolutely,
1: you're right. It's very, it's another one of those divisive things that we perpetuate on each other, and uh, I think it's lessening because I think more people are adopting, uh, more gay men are adopting in as couples as singles. Uh, and it's becoming a little bit better. But, no, you're absolutely right. And there's there's this sense of uh, selfishness. That who's selfish? I mean, <laughs> there's this sense of, well, I'm not going to adopt because I'll have to give up, you know, all my nights at the disco. Or I know there are no discos anymore, oh, but sure. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I heard
2: oh my God, not, the dis- not the disco. <laughs> Somebody said to me yesterday,
1: Uh, I said that. I said something about the disco, and they said, oh, they're coming back. And I said, yeah, well, so am I.
2: Right, right.
1: (laughs) So like discos, I'm coming back. That's my new line. Uh, Anyway, you know what I'm saying. I mean, they they don't, it's not in their consciousness, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but I think it wasn't certainly 10 years ago. And I think maybe this has changed. In the consciousness of most gay men to make room for that responsibility.
2: Right. Well, I think we just we have for so long thought like marriage wasn't in our consciousness, let alone adopting. And it actually, in a lot of even in I in Florida, there's I'm sure there's many other states where we're not allowed to adopt still. So, exactly. Oh, lot, several states. So yes, you, you, that's
1: right. If, if you were allowed to get married, then how are you allowed to have a child? It's all these things. And interestingly enough, I mean. I try to talk about this a little bit in my book without being too much of a sociologist, but, you know, these are the things that have led to some of the behavior for which we have been, um, vil- you know, made vilified. into yeah. horrible, vilified by um, simply because we were not given the right to have, uh, An adjust. We were not given the right to have a healthy, normal, whatever that means, or adjusted life. We were we were basically told you can't have that kind of a life. So what did we do? Well, we led uh, different lives, and a lot of those lives we led involved a lot of wild and sometimes crazy and sometimes irresponsible. And I'm speaking for myself. Things. Right. Um. So maybe things are shifting thing a little bit i'd like to think so
2: well i think that's true and i mean i know you know the book the velvet rage that every gay man should read um that talks a lot about that and it's interesting because i remember i did i was in the boston pride parade one year you know not too long after gay marriage was approved in massachusetts and stuff and um everyone was you know rushing there to get married and and I was talking to a few people, and I was like, God, this, this gay pride is so timid. And they saw all these men with strollers. And, and it's like the interesting thing, which is to your point, is once we were allowed to get married and everyone started thinking that way and that, beca- that became an actual goal or an even just a, a type dream, it's like our whole culture changed. He's like, the, got, the bars got really boring, and he's like, the gay men in Boston are super boring now. I mean, that's obviously a blanket generalization, but, but he's like, yeah. He's like, once we were, he goes, that's just the irony of the religious right. It's like, you want us to not engage in all these things that you vilify us for? We'll let right, us get right, married, right, and we'll be normal, like. Or whatever that means. You know, I don't mean normal. It's
1: interesting but. how that will play out in the next decade. And I think yeah. you're absolutely right. I think that it will play out in a way that the bars are going to get more empty. We're going to have to figure out other. Well, we'll be opening baby clothes stores and things. Right. right. <laughs> fabulous baby clothes stores. Very very more glamorous than you can ever imagine. <laughs> that would be great. You know, I think, you know, that slowly but surely, and I'm so glad to be alive to see it, and other friends of mine, you know, other especially Politico friends, you know, we really kind of say, God, you know, we didn't do all that work in vain. We didn't go on all those marches and go to all those meetings and, and scream and cry for all those petitions and whatever it was. You know, the culmination of all that is is really seeming to become a reality has really become a reality in many respects. Right, now, I I heard awesome. that
2: beep. I'm sorry. I said, I heard that beep. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, no, I, I either, the... I either can't hear them anymore. or they stopped, or I'm ignoring them, but go on, go off. Robert. <laughs> just, yeah. No, no, one of the
0: things, um, uh, Michael, that I think is, really um, awesome about your bio when you sent it to me is that you were the first Hollywood actor on record to come out of the closet in the mid-70s You know, admit all the uh, homophobia, but even that, you came out as HIV positive in 1991 and actually made television history by doing that. What made you do that? What gave you, I guess, the balls or the guts to, to get on TV and do that when all that homophobia, all that AIDS signal is going around?
1: Well, I think that the very reasons that you stated and everyone else stated is the reason I did that in other words the, the fact that the Hollywood homophobia had certainly not changed in the six years between Rock Hudson's death and Brad Davis's death and when when Brad Davis died was when I was asked again to kind of be this spokesperson as the only openly gay actor in Hollywood So at that point, the media didn't know whether I was HIV or not, and I had to have, I had a lover, I had, uh, you know, things going on in my life, and I had to ask myself if if this was the time that I come out about being HIV positive. And I couldn't go on the shows and act like I wasn't HIV positive because it was against Exactly what I was preaching. In other words, if I'm preaching, come out of the closet about being gay and that it's not healthy to have these secrets and carry them around, how could I, in good conscience, possibly go on and talk about Brad, Brad Davis' death and act like I was negative? Or, you know, or even a sin of omission would not have been the conscionable thing to do. So, At some point, you know, several talk shows and morning shows were asking for me to come on, and at some point one of them said, again, one of these weird situations. They say, well, we don't know whether you are HIV positive or not, but if you are and you wanted to talk about that, we would handle it very delicately and do whatever you wanted in terms of asking questions. So that was the show that I went with, and I talked to some friends, and I talked to my lover at the time, who had to talk to his family, <laughs> and I, you know, commiserated with some of my political friends, specifically Morris Kite, uh, who was a big activist. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was, you know, one of the people who started the whole gay rights movement. I spoke to him specifically. I was in Washington D.C. at the time. I was doing a show and um, I made the decision to do it. And then, you know, then two nights later I was on Entertainment Tonight and it was a big deal and it was very, you know, everybody thinks these things are sort of like the book. You know, there's a certain degree of, oh, it's so glamorous to have a book. and Oh, he's on Entertainment Tonight. But you know what? There's also a degree of exposure that's uncomfortable, I mean, mm-hmm. there's things at stake for me when I do this stuff. Yes, it is fun, and it is glamorous, and it is sexy, and it is all that. But it's also like, hey, you know, this feels – it feels like the exposure is sometimes embarrassing and icky. That's what I use mm-hmm. it's icky sometimes. Well,
2: especially – I mean, especially then. And I mean, even – you know, now, there, there's still times now, I mean, I, you know, obviously the three of us are very out about our status, but there's times when, you know, in mixed company where you know, I've it out and I'm like, I can see the people that people are uncomfortable, and it's like, okay. No, well. in in
1: 1991, a lot of people were not out about their status. Oh, Especially like, in this town, especially here, you know, it was... Well, LeBros- they're still
2: not. <laughs> Unfortunately, Well, but there's still
1: that I mean, there's still Well, we have Hollywood actors Who aren't out of the closet
2: And how right. many of
1: those Hollywood actors Who aren't out of the closet are HIV positive Let's ask yeah. ourselves that question Of course A lot of them I mean, oh. I know some of them, So, oh. it's just The way it is
0: All
1: Right <laughs> Well <laughs>
0: I was reading Mark King's uh, comment in the chat room, and he said he went to Hollywood Dirt. <laughs> um, he wants dirt? He wants He went to Hollywood Dirt.
2: <laughs>
1: no, I know Mark King, and tell him yeah. to be good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now, people to read familiar, the book, if you want dirt, you
1: have to pay your whatever it is and read the book.
0: Right, and the book is, The Truth is Bad Enough, What Became of the Happy Hustler? And what exactly does the book focus on into the part of your life, is well, it your whole history, or the
1: book. It really it's divided into three parts, which is um, actor, activist, artist, and father. And the the bulk of the book really is about my being a father, so it's appropriate that we're talking today. I mean, I it's it's a thir- it's the biggest chunk of the book, but I talk about everything. You know, I talk about coming out. I talk, I go from basically my childhood up until the present. So. It covers you know my wild and crazy Hollywood days in the seventies, and all that ensued at the and, disco yeah. at the disco <laughs> <laughs> at the disco yeah <laughs> I'm still at the disco um yeah, at the <laughs> disco in fact i I think there's probably some reference to a disco anyway, there's <laughs> certainly references to uh you know actors at the time that I might have diddled with and parties where there was diddling going on and uh, all that jazz. <laughs> and then it also yeah, talked yeah. about my little addiction problems. And, you know, it, 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 I really – somebody said to me, this is so funny and it's so true because I was uh, at Stonewall I, – I went to the Stonewall bar when I was uh, – 18 years old, the year before Stonewall in the summer because I was at the American Academy. And I was telling somebody about that, I think on a show or something. And they said, you know, really your life kind of is the typical in many ways, gay male story. When you think of coming out around the time of Stonewall and going through the sort of sex crazed addiction, uh, alcohol, drugs, phase. Then introducing HIV/AIDS. Then introducing a baby. I mean, there, there. In a way, my life is as sort of wild and 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 whatever it is. It it, it it's also sort of the simple gay male story. Yeah. I mean,
2: well, it chronicles a lot of sort of our milestones and things that a lot of people went through. Are, and are going right. and are going through and will go
1: through exactly. I sort of mirror that. So in many ways, my story is very relatable to. I mean, it's a little more heightened, probably than most people, or at least I tell it a little more heightened. <laughs> but uh, it, it it really is kind of this typical American gay male story of someone. Who started being gay at the at the time of Stonewall and has continued to survive you know i mean the other thing is that people say you know there are, to for me to have entered the twenty first century and lived this long you know I, so many of my peers and the people who are my age or would be my age are all dead yeah, you know i'm really i'm not i'm one of you know, there are many of us of course, but there are more that are dead than are alive.
2: Oh, of course. Way more. Way I more. I mean, you were you you were diagnosed when?
1: Eighty
2: nine. Same with me. So I would say ten percent of us are alive.
1: I, I think I think that's probably that's probably right. And yeah. that those are horrific statistics. Yeah. And awful. um you know, our stories are are, are are different and people dismiss us as, oh, well, you know, those queers can have those protein inhibitors and they're not, they're fine, don't worry about them. But they don't factor in the heartache and they don't factor in all the loss, the, the interminable feelings of, of having lost people. I, I, You know that, you know, things have gotten better, yes, but, in terms of my relationship to AIDS, there's still enormous pain on a day-to-day basis. Well, I mean, and
2: I I I think that's really common. I was just at the closing ceremonies of the Life Cycle AIDS Ride in um, San Francisco to LA. And, you know, they do the the closing ceremonies where the, the riderless bike rides in. And a lot of people cry. And it's like a lot of people yeah. my age and older, it's like people forget. But it really fucking sucked for us. Like, I mean, not only did we think we were going to die very shortly, but everyone around us was visibly sick and dying. Like, you forget, it wasn't that long ago, but it was atrocious. It really
1: was. It was atrocious, and, uh, you know, I I think that the war images can be uh, odious, but I also think that, You know, to some degree, there is a sense of post-traumatic stress having seen all those deaths and been at all those bedside one after another, after another, after another, after another, to the point where you just became numb and not even like knowing what this all meant. And then suddenly being alive, and where is everybody? You know, they're all gone, and here I am. I'm standing. It's like the last person at musical chairs or whatever you right. know why am i the one here standing and everybody else is gone and mm. so i think that that pain i mean it's it's still what kind of fuels me and it's also what depresses me and i i just don't think that people realize that this this whole aids thing is not over
0: right you know i think i think and that's really important youth, for people I'm sorry, Mike. I just wanted to say, I think it's important for people to go out and and to get your book. You know, the truth is bad enough. It's important for people to read the story, to see the documentaries like we were here. I was just watching it last night on PBS, and those things are so important because we need to be reminded. The people who are being diagnosed today don't know what it was like for the long-term survivors to go through losing all of their family members, all of their friends. They don't know. So I think it's so important for people to to pick up your book. Your book is available on Amazon, but I saw last night you had an opening or a book signing. Is it available in, like, Barnes & Nobles and stuff like that? uh, No, this was
1: a book signing, and it was, like, wildly successful. There were, like, amazing people there. And it was at Skylight Books, which is one of the only and longest living uh, independent bookstores in L.A. And it's in a very groovy. It's in Los Feliz. It's in a great neighborhood. And there were over 100 people there. And um, some people you'd probably know, Malcolm Boyd, the uh, Piscotillian minister who, you know, wrote the book got, Running With Me, Jesus, or whatever. He's in his 80s. And then there's, like, the television star, Rex Lee, who's on an entourage. And, I mean, there were, like, a wild John Fleck, the performance artist. There were really some cool, interesting people. And then there were a lot of, like, uh, my daughters, uh, the parents of kids that I went to, that she went to school with. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: So that's cool, too. I mean, it was a real variety of people.
0: So, so where can people get your book at? Just Amazon.com?
1: Amazon's is the best way. Order now. Go to your computer. <laughs> I have a child to put the co- through college. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and your website is, so people are familiar, michaelkearns.net is the website, correct?
1: Yeah, so, www.michaelkearns.net. Yep. Okay, and they and can read more than they ever wanted to know about me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to real quick open up uh, the phone lines for people to call into the show and speak to Michael. Three four seven two one five nine four four two. If you have a question or comment, um, please call the show now. I, I, you know, some of the the shows that you were on, where you know, um, I want to talk about some of that stuff because you were on Life Goes On, where you actually played a character who had the HIV virus. You played Cleve Jones in uh, and the Band Played On on HBO. You were in A Mother's Prayer, It's My Party, Beverly Hills nine oh two one zero. I mean, Cheers, Murder She Wrote, General Hospital, Days of Our Lives. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, I just well, you know, I didn't always have
1: like these huge parts. By the way, I'm just just letting you know this. You're really breaking up now, but that's okay. I can I'm getting bits and pieces of it. Um, well, you you sound fine, so. Oh, okay, you sound better right now. Anyway, good. Uh, as long as I, <laughs> I'm kidding.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, I did these parts, and you know what was weird about like life goes on was that I was perfectly. As I am now, I mean, at, at least physically to look at. I have some issues with neuropathy, blah, blah, blah. Nobody wants to hear about it. But I, especially then, you know, I did not look sick under any circumstances, and I would have to go to makeup for hours to be transformed into this person with HIV. And then I did several shows playing an HIV-positive character until we came to, and, and I don't know if you, this is in the book and it's hilarious, uh, it came to, um, what's that show? Oh, Beverly Hills 90210. And I was supposed to recur, and I was playing a gay HIV-positive guy in a hospice. So me being like, you know, a fairly serious actor, I go into this costume. To the costume place and the costume on the lot and they're trying on costumes for me and they're putting on these like t-shirts and a t-shirt over a t-shirt and a long sleeve t-shirt over a short sleeve t-shirt and they're all like you know $75 t-shirt so and you know what I said to the
2: costume
1: designer you don't, and you're not supposed to mess with these costume designers. I said you know what I, I just want to say this guy is in a hospice dying of AIDS and the guy looked at me, and he said, darling, this is Aaron's Spelling-Aids. <laughs> oh,
2: my gosh. Do you oh, love my it? God.
1: Do you, love, you that love was This is a true story. I, I mean, the truth is bad enough. How could I make it up? Oh, my this God. This is Aaron's Spelling-Aids. So there I was, and they, they didn't do quite as much ghoulish makeup, but there I was in T-shirt after T-shirt, Each episode, I did three episodes, I think, and I had all these glamorous, uh, you know, shirts and T-shirts and Tommy Hilfiger or whatever his name is and Calvin Klein T-shirts for
2: a guy dying in a hospice. I mean, do you love it? Oh, my God. Well, I I actually love even more that they had to make an HIV-positive person look sick. Like, no, you're not. I love that, too. Yeah. Oh, no, that was hilarious.
1: I mean, I, I... you know, I just knew when I was going through it, I kind of resented it. And I thought, well, you know what? I need the money. It's good of money. Course. I did this movie with Linda Hamilton and RuPaul called A Mother's Prayer. They I remember I know that movie. <laughs> well, I was like her friend at the hospice, and she came up to me, and then we had dinner. Or something. Anyway... They ghouled me out for that movie. I mean, they spent so much time on creating lesions and bullshit. Of course, I'm on the screen about a minute and a half, but they went out of their (laughs) way. And then, you know, I'd wipe it all off and I'd walk out of there as normal, as normal, as normal, as normal could be. It was so bizarre. Anyway, to think that I lived through all that—I mean, all that is like—and you know, that's all pretty far away. It's hilarious that I'm still
2: here. I—I I got through all of last year, and I'm here. I just think it's really great that—I um, mean, because I know even—I mean, today, so many people are just struggling with—with. With- with being out about their status, and it's really amazing that, especially in an industry that's so concerned about image, that you were brave enough to do that. I think it's very inspiring. Well, thank
1: you. But you know what? Here's the deal. Thank you very much, and I'm, I'm not ignoring the praise and, and your acknowledgement. But the person who benefits the most from this is the person who comes out. Oh, I agree. There is nothing like being free of that demon of yeah. not of hiding and camouflaging who you are. And if you're HIV positive, that's part of who you are. And if you don't if you choose to keep that a secret, you're only making life more complicated and less um fulfilled than you would if you came
2: out. I agree 100% and very well said. I mean, I yeah. so we say that on the show all the time and you know, I also say, you. I promise you, you will be surprised by your, the reception that you get. I mean, some people won't surprise you, unfortunately, if you're forecasting negativity, but a That's lot right. of people will. A lot of people will, and you'll feel better yourself. You just will. And, and you don't want to be around. Who, who wants those people? If right. I it's difficult when it's your parents or someone that you I know, really, but we all but have challenges in life. Right, you're right. <laughs> You know, yeah, we do.
1: I think that we pointed out in this show, and it's Father's Day, the fact is that you you, you are not restricted by coming out as being HIV positive. You can be a father. You can be whatever you want to be. In other words, don't allow yourself to think that that's going to restrict you. I think what's restricting you is being in the closet about anything. Agreed.
2: I really uh, agree. So, that's the message i want
1: to leave
2: <laughs> no i think that's i think it's so well said very succinct and it's so true and i think a lot of people have a really hard time believing that and really truly internalizing it but it's true
1: you know yes it is and i'm just going to you know keep I said until my, you know, dying breath, I'm going to keep saying these things. And I know people get tired of hearing them maybe from me. And, you know, I I sometimes feel like, seem like a broken record. I don't care because I think that what I'm saying is true. And I also think that if we're going to have a sustainable, healthy, whatever word you want to use, healthy gets me a little crazy sometimes, but uh, sustainable gay community or or G-L-B-T-H-I-G community, E-W-X-Y-Z community (laughs) (laughs) that we we need to not be in the shadowlands we need to be saying here we are you know we've had addiction problems we are positive we you know this is all just part of the fabric of who we are and we're also very good people and funny people and creative and smart and all those things too so, you know, there's a balance. It's not all or nothing. It's not just because when you when you say that you're HIV positive, that's not all you are. It's just one part of who you are. Right,
2: right.
1: Well, that's incredible. So, I hope people can hear that. And, you know, you can't force anyone, and I don't want to force anyone, and they will do it in their time or they won't. But the relief and the sense of well-being that, that comes from, being open about it, it, it is, you know, as good as sex in the seventies of the disco. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I also think it's it's important to say to remind those people that are considering coming out about it that there's also a lot of support around it. Like, if you're not going to get support, you think from your media family or whatever, there's a ton of people out there like us and you know people on the body dot com and uh, different places on the internet and you know, in your town or whatever that are supportive. So if you, need, if, you need that, if you need that kind of support, it's there for you. The, the
1: absolutely true. And it doesn't mean an end to sex, and it doesn't mean an end to dating, and it doesn't mean an end to getting a partner, and it doesn't mean, you know, you can't, It, it people have to frame it as an opening. It's a new It's a new kind of adventure That you're going to be on When you come out of the closet about it Just like coming out of the closet about being gay I mean can you imagine What it would be like to be in the closet As a gay person I mean at this juncture Where we live in the world now I mean it's just crazy to me But I know there are parents I know there's religion There's this little thing called religion Um, Yeah Which is a dangerous Uh (laughs) Proposition to get oneself into. Uh, <laughs> you know, and God knows our presidential election may have uh, be pro- be pr- problematic as a result of that nonsense. So I don't know, but I think we're doing pretty good in life. Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think those who actually don't come out of the closet, whether it be the HIV closet, or or the gay causes, they kind of feed into that homophobia and feed into that AIDS stigma by hiding. And I think the more that us come out of the closet and, and say this is who we are and we're happy and proud of who we are and we're okay with it, I think the more that, that homophobia and that stigma is able to decrease. So I think having somebody like you who was the very first person to go on TV and say, hey, you know, I'm will make sure be positive, and, you know, this is me, I think that you are an incredible role model and I think that I, I – applaud you for everything that you've done. You are incredibly brave.
1: Well, thank you so much. You know, I want to just say one other little thing because, you know, people are interested in the dishy of the book and stuff. And, <laughs> you know, this whole issue that, of this recent star who we can keep nameless, who was in Greece, um, <laughs> this whole okay. issue of whether he is or isn't or whatever, uh, I got news for everybody he is. And the point is people say to me, well, I just don't care. Why do you care? Why do you you care whether he's out or not? Why why is that important to you? Well, it's important. As long as people are hanging themselves because they're gay or they're afraid of being gay, it is important for everyone who is gay to come out. Because otherwise you are to some degree culpable for these atrocities that are happening to, the, to these young people. Because especially, especially, especially if you're in a powerful position where you are looked up to and respected for your work or your craft or whatever it is you do, and you're in the closet, you're saying, it's you're implicitly saying it's not okay, it's not okay. to be gay. Yeah. I agree. So when people ask me why it upsets me, why I think he should come out of the cause or any number of them, that is the reason. And I won't change my mind on that.
2: Well, I I I just think the same thing when he said for HIV. I had someone today on Twitter ask me if I ever felt suicidal because he felt suicidal about his HIV status. And I'm like, another, again, a perfect reason. And I think actually now the instance of people with HIV feeling suicidal is even greater than people feeling that way because of their homosexuality. I mean, I hear that all the time. So it's, another, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, um, it's, and I always, I say to people, you know, if you're, if you're questioning doing it for yourself, also think of the larger picture, which Robert just addressed. It's like, you're fighting the stigma by coming out, you're chipping away one person, you're educating people and so on and so on. And it has a ripple effect. So. If you can't it's, find the it's, strength it's, to do it for yourself, do it for that person who might. I look agree.
1: Out. I agree. It's a bigger cause than you, and that should be ideally inherent in your decision. Is that, you know, you're doing something greater than yourself when you come out. You're, it's not just about you. It is about those kids who are, are hanging themselves or, or, or cutting themselves or whatever it is they're doing to themselves. Uh, because of, the, of their fear of being hiv positive or because they're hiv positive or because they're queer those are the kids you're also doing it for and that's what has to be realized that it's not just yourself you, you i feel that we have a responsibility to each other you know isn't that what life is supposed to be that we're supposed to have some kind of responsibility to other People and if you can help by coming out, then it just seems to me that that's a logical thing to do. Yeah, and a conscious, conscionable, and 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 that it has some consciousness about it. Otherwise, you know, what is the point? We're all going to die. We're all going to die of something, and we're all we and we don't know when we're going to die, and we don't know how old we're going to be when we die. So let's uh, get with the program and be,
0: be who you are, for Christ's sake. Michael, will you be at the International AIDS Conference? Well, I would love to. I
1: I, I don't know yet. You know, I mean, I, I'm I've ever since I've been a parent. You know, I'm sort of bound to LA. And so I I, don't, yeah, I, really am, you know, I haven't, yeah. unless I travel with her, and, you know, I've done several things in Europe, but she's always been with me. So I don't know. No one's asked me, so <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I can't ask myself.
0: Uh, but
1: it's a good question, and one that I will keep in mind.
0: Well, if you are there, I would love to get, I'm going to actually order your book tomorrow um, when I get in the office, yeah. and um, I would love to have you sign it.
1: Well, also, you know, off the air or whenever well, I can text you my address and you can send it to me and I'll mail it back to you. That's what I've been doing with a lot of people.
0: Okay, that'll work. Yeah,
1: so you can do that too. And you can get an autograph fast.
0: There you Michael Kern, thank you so much for, for joining us All for right, the hour and you sharing guys. your story. I and... had
1: so much fun, and I feel, you know, I really feel we're on the same page. and. Uh, I feel appreciated, and I feel like I was able to um, maybe impart something that helps someone, and that makes it all worthwhile to me. Awesome. Well, you have yourself a great night. Okay, you guys, too, and be in touch, okay? Thank you. Okay, So
0: Remember, folks, you can find uh, Michael Kern's book, The Truth is Bad Enough, What Became of the Happy Hustler, now on Amazon. You can visit his website by going to michaelkearns.net. More information on my show and upcoming shows, you can go to Pause More information on the fabulous Jack McEnroth. You can go to JackMackInroth.com, follow him on Twitter, follow Pause Army, follow hashtag HIV. Did I forget anything? <laughs> uh no. That's all good. <laughs> pride oh,
2: on. the only other the the only
0: other real quick thing I wanted to mention is that um if you are uh, go on iTunes, you can download Jamar Rogers' new single where Would I Be Without You? It's available on iTunes, June 19th. Oh, shut so, up.
2: And that's the other person yeah. I forgot who's part of the Paul's Army. So he will also be at the AIDS conference so we can all hang out with him.
0: Yeah, so um,
2: check that out. You have a great night. Awesome. I you, I'm going to do that right now. What's it
0: called again? Um, the song is called Where Would I Be Without You?
2: Okay, well, we're,
0: we're, I think we're past our time. But have a great night. Yeah,
2: that's fine. <laughs> You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW proof. Void required prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.